Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts, and today we're going to cover Poseidon, the god of the sea, ethical beach foraging, and seashell magic in our much-anticipated Tropical Escape theme episode. Yes, and I'm talking about a different type of plant today, one that you're probably not growing in your house, but is really cool in your magical practice, seaweed. Um, But before we dive in to all that oh my uh, god we... <laughs> go home nick <laughs> <laughs> um uh we had a hilarious text exchange based on a dream that i thought would fit right in here as part of our intro and uh that is our extremely speculative and very silly zodiac assessment of the characters on beloved cartoon spongebob squarepants yeah so this like all started because i had a dream that nick and i were very intensely debating the astrological big three of one squidward (laughs) squidward tentacles Uh, squidward tentacles was a very prominent part of my dream uh i guess you can blame my pisces moon for these things i don't know where they come from um but i think that i would say and this is what i told nick and i'd be i'd love to hear other takes on this but i think he would be a virgo sun a cancer moon and a taurus rising and um, uh, to that, I countered that he is very quick to anger. So I said um, an Aries moon. Yeah, and I think I totally get that because the quick to anger thing is where I was kind of going with the Taurus rising. And the reason I went with the Cancer moon there is because we do see a lot of like intense sadness uh, yes. and ennui from him. You know, it's like all of those episodes with him like in the bath and like playing his clarinet and all of his like hope and dreams that have just been squashed by this world. And that like ennui feels very like Cancerian to me. Yes. Um, um but then but then we were like but but maybe a gemini moon because you know i have known a few gemini moons in my time to be uh pretty depressed as well oh totally no i think that a gemini moon is also very fair i do think that like an air or a water moon would make the most sense because i just feel like i feel like squidward has a fire rising Sure, sure, sure. I just think that that's where that comes from, because it doesn't feel like the rage is part of who he is at his core. It's part of his projection. Right, right, right. It's his (laughs) shell. And see, I was thinking that SpongeBob would be a Gemini. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, SpongeBob is a Gemini. I okay, so I think what I had said for that one was Gemini Sun, Sagittarius Moon, Aries Rising. And I I 100% agree with you. And I do have to say that uh, my partner laughed because I told him when you texted, you were like, well, Mr. Krabs is obviously a Capricorn Sun Libra Rising. Uh, My partner, the Capricorn, was just like, wow, uh, nice. But also, I might just be Mr. Krabs. (laughs) So I feel like that was like spot on. And then I think we could all agree that plankton is a Scorpio. Yeah, like a triple Scorpio. Yeah, I'm thinking like triple Scorpio, super intense. Like there's no semblance of balance there. He's like, he's very, very intense. But 
And that's and and that's why, or maybe like like a Scorpio Sun and Rising with a Cat Moon, and that's why he had to build a robot wife. Yeah, I do think that that's fair because I think Scorpios and Capricorns can be complicated lovers for very different reasons. But wouldn't that wouldn't that be appropriate for Scorpio too to build a robot wife and she still doesn't like you? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. That's like such earth energy to like build your self-loathing into your creation. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, then you said that you thought Patrick was a Taurus with a Sag rising, perhaps. But I still counter. I really think that he might be a Pisces because Pisces are the most gullible of all of the astrological calendar, like Pisces suns. And I stand by that i feel like they are you know they it's very easy for them to like buy into what others think and i think part of that is because like pisces is the pisces is the 12th sign so it has a little bit of everything in it which i think contributes to that being like very easily swayed which patrick 1000 percent is what and and you know my my assessment of Patrick having strong Taurus energy is based on the fact that while it is not canonical, Patrick smokes hella weed. And I just that's know fair. I just know that he does. And I know that that's like very strongly associated with Taurus. So what if what if he was a Pisces sun, Taurus moon, Sag yeah. rising? I you know what? Because he's always down to go up with SpongeBob's crazy adventures. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's that's sad energy to me if I've ever seen it. And so I'm going to put forth for Sandy Cheeks. I think that she is Capricorn rising, Leo sun, Virgo moon, perhaps. I was going to say it's a combo of Leo and Virgo. So yeah. I'm I'm on board because I mean, and I would I put the Capricorn in there because you know, she's a fucking scientist, right? She's like putting all this forward as like being boss bitch CEO. And it's like, what sign has more like CEO energy than Capricorn? These no one. Exactly. Exactly. So this I think that concludes our segment on the astrology of SpongeBob characters. But it was I mean, I had a lot of fun with the conversation. Um, I hope you did as well. And, <laughs> you know, and it's it's uh, considering like this week is uh, the 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 tropical island vacation episode. Um, and I'm I'm actually I don't know if you're wearing yours, but I'm wearing my uh, my lay. Oh, I'm not. But right I'm wearing now. my my Laramar. OK, well, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a lay and a, and a grass skirt right now. Oh. Um, so you chose to leave the coconut bra off. <laughs> oh, well. You're free boobing. <laughs> yeah, I was wearing it, but it's very uncomfortable to wear a coconut bra with um, bodacious titties like mine. Well, you know, as someone who doesn't have bodacious titties, <laughs> I can't relate. So I will have to take your word for it. Um, um, but <laughs> but yeah, so so we just thought we just thought we'd start with something really fun. Yeah. And I do think that it's it's such a fun game. And if you haven't played this game where you like take really stupid things like cartoon characters or like random movie characters and try and figure out their astrological charts, it's so much fun to do with other like witchy people that, you know, right. A plus plus do recommend and no one loses because there's no right answer, which as a Virgo is the best type of game to play with me, because if I could lose, I'll light you on fire. Right. Right. But also, if y'all have any suggestions uh, about alternate 
configurations of SpongeBob, astrological signs, or any famous movie or TV characters' astrology signs, you should send them to us and maybe we'll feature some of the funny responses on our Instagram page. Or if there are other characters you would like Nick and I to debate, Mm. let us know. We're also happy to do that. We could make this a regular part of the intro, people. It's up to you. Oh, my God. We're here to give the people what they want. (laughs) So just tell us what you want. Yes, we are. (laughs) Okay, so I'm talking, though, about seaweed. And I am really excited to do this. So I um, got my 50% sea, 50% (laughs) weed. I um, got my nerd on because one of the biggest sources I used today was like oceanservice.noaa.gov. And then this really weird site that I found that I really like magicalrecipes.com. But, you know, I was mostly stoked about this because it is like a really different type of topic for me. Um, clearly, I've never grown seaweed. I would assume that most of you aren't growing seaweed as a houseplant. I don't know if any of you have large indoor marshes. If you do, I'm wrong. That'd be neat. I'd like to see a picture. But also, yeah. if we have any listeners that live under the sea, I would be really stoked to find out what that's like, too. Uh, yes. If any of you are Atlanteans, please let us know. Um, I would also love to come visit you and maybe stay if they keep <laughs> on the trajectory they're going. Um, so anyway, I think that the connection there to like the sea and its magic is really cool. So we did want to cover it during our like sea spectacular episode and seaweed I'm going to be like a fucking Virgo here. It's actually like a common name for a bunch of different species of marine plants and algae that aren't actually weeds in the sense that we think about them, you know, in gardening and things like that, right? Like they're not invasive. They're not taking away nutrients. They're actually really important, like vital pieces of the ecosystems. Um, And they grow in places like the ocean, but also in like rivers, lakes, and basically any other body of water. So there's seaweed that's growing in the oceans, but also some that grows in freshwater, which I thought was interesting. But of course, like the most common is the stuff that you you see wash up on the beach. Some of it is microscopic, like phytoplankton, which is again, it's like that's food for like algae and like so many important parts of, um, you know, the marine ecosystem. And then some of them are also like huge. There's some really cool pictures of giant kelp that grows in like forests that are in like all of these like amazing river channels. So I would highly recommend looking at them. They literally look like giant like redwoods forests made out of seaweed. Oh, it's like that. It's like the ones where the sea otters hang out, too. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like the ones in the lake in Harry Potter when he dives in and gets attacked by the merpeople. Also, the ones that I think you're probably most familiar with are the medium sized varieties, though. Those are the ones that like wash up on beaches and shorelines and they're like green or brown or red, you know, sort of in that shade family. Um, and, And in addition to their cool like uses in the ecosystems, they're also really good health food. Seaweed salad is one of my favorite things. I get it anywhere that it's available. I genuinely love it. And it's chock full of like vitamins and minerals and fiber. And, you know, it's like for at least 1500 years, the Japanese people have used it as, you know, the nori wrap in their sushi rolls. Um, And a lot of seaweeds contain anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial agents. So there's a lot of stuff to suggest that the Romans used it to treat wounds and burns and rashes. And some anecdotal evidence suggests that the ancient Egyptians might have used it as a treatment for breast cancer which is fascinating. Like the more we learn about the medical 
community in ancient Egypt. It's just like super cool. Um, and certain seaweeds do actually have a really powerful cancer fighting agent in them that researchers actually hope will prove to be effective in the treatment of things like malignant tumors and leukemia. And for a long time, the low rate of cancer in Japan was um, credited to a lot of like dietary soy. The new New research is saying that like this indicator of like robust health is actually probably because they have so much seaweed in their diets as opposed to the soy. And I and I love I love that for them. And also uh, seaweed chips. Oh, my God. Oh my so delicious. Seaweed chips, seaweed salad, sushi rolls, spicy seaweed chips. Oh, I, Fuck yeah, off. The, so good. the wasabi ones. Oh, they're my favorite. But this is a podcast about magic. And so I can't give you much advice on how to grow seaweed because Duh. So I want to talk about how you can use it in your practice. So I bet no one's going to be shocked that seaweed is associated with the element of water. And when you think about water, the moon, obviously, is its planetary association. And a a thing that I found and I was not able to find backup, but I did find it in one place and I want it to be true is that old witch is called seaweed ladies tree. (laughs) And so I've decided that that's true to me in my heart. Um, So you can use uh, seaweed when you're doing like summoning for gods or entities associated with the ocean or sea, like Poseidon, um, mermaids, or if you're near freshwater, even like water nymphs. And so to use it, you can like place a piece of seaweed into the water and like focus your intention on who you're calling to. And then when the seaweed has washed out into the water, like thank the plant for its help and continue with your spell or work. And in this case, I'd really suggest like doing your ritual near the water. Um, And then once you're done, I always like to remind people, like, thank the deity or the entity that you asked to use their energy when you're doing your spell. Um, You know, you want to, like, release their energy, close the loop. But also, if you're calling on deities and stuff, like, you know, fuck, be polite. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be rude. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bad time for bad manners. Yeah, good manners with deities. Um, There's also this really common spell that I saw in a bunch of places I read um, in the Dark Ages that was used to summon one of the gods of the four winds. And so what you do is you find like a long piece of seaweed and you spin it clockwise over your head you whistle and then you call the name of one of the gods of the four winds uh and they said it was the spell was so powerful that it could even conjure a storm which fucking cool yeah and i love the idea too that seaweed has like this connection to like luck and abundance because you think about all of the seaweed that exists in the fucking vast oceans it's everywhere. So you can use seaweed to attract customers to a business, um, you know, maybe like keep a small bit in the window of your shop or near the cash register. Or if you have an online business, like maybe keep some on like the desk where your computer lives, where you're doing your work. And you can also put a piece of dried seaweed into your pocket while you're working to attract wealth. Or, you know, if you're opening a new business, like first of all, fucking good for you in 2021. How dare you be so successful? <laughs> how, uh, how fucking dare you, you how piece fucking of shit? Dare you? I mean, good for you, but how dare you? But you can take a piece of dried seaweed and like rub it on the doorknobs and like other high touch areas of the new business to like consecrate the space and like pull in that intention of like wealth and like positive attraction. And then seaweed, of course, is also a great tool for protection and banishing. You know, most of these are coming from salt water. So naturally, the plant has sea salt present. So when you think about the use of salt and protection, 
this is a really like obvious step with seaweed. So you could, you know, hearkening back to our last episode, make a witch's rope out of seaweed, keep it outside probably, because if you've ever harvested wet seaweed, it can get a little like gross smelling when it's drying out. So maybe don't bring it it into your house. It has a really strong smell of the ocean. It does. And the smell of the ocean can become the smell of really weird fish quickly. (laughs) So you can also hang a piece of seaweed, though, like near your door to sort of ward off bad spirits and energies. And I'm sure that's probably from the salt and then maybe also from the smell. (laughs) But I'm loving I'm loving the idea of like a kelp witch's ladder. So I know a lot of people out there. I know we like to talk about all the different flavors of which sea witches. Sea witches are a thing and y'all are bomb. I, I love I love sea witches. I really wish that I was more into like sea witchcraft and doing like, this research. I loved made me learning want to. about sea witches this week and like delving in to all the different stuff with seashells and Poseidon and yeah, seaweed. And y'all are fucking cool. Y'all are cool. If we have any seaweed, sea witches, seaweed witches, if old <laughs> Greg is listening. Old Greg! Uh, oh. First of all, old Greg, thank you for sharing your downstairs mix up with the world. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, see witches, hit us up. Hit us um, up. Hit us but, up. But you know, because of its association with water, something that I also thought was interesting is that you can use it for protecting against fires. So, you know, maybe keeping some near your mantle or, you know, if you're like Nick and I and you play with fire a lot in your magical practice, a little piece on your altar could help provide like additional protection against like accidents you know it's never fun if a little like candle spark gets on like something or like burns your altar you know that's no fun so a little bit it's of not fun a little bit of seaweed could help and if you don't live near a beach where you can gather it in the wild you know you can definitely get dried seaweed to use it in your magic you just if you need it to be more pliable you can literally just like rehydrate it by soaking it a bit in water so oh yeah yeah, and that's that's all I have on seaweed. I know it's pretty short and sweet because I normally ramble for a long time about plants, but this one, there's no growing instructions. And so. also, um, if you're looking for a quick Halloween costume idea, you can just go get a nice big handful of kelp from the beach and put it on your head and uh, be old Greg. Be old Greg. And someday maybe you too can host the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my god! Okay. Um, so we have we have we have a really nice segue here, though, because yeah. um, if you're gonna go out, you to gather some seaweed, you're probably gonna go to the beach, unless you live under the sea already. Again, Atlanteans, please let us know who you are. Um, and so you had some some tips, some tips to how to I did how to forage without being a an environment destroyer. Yeah, how to not be a bitch at the beach. So travelforwildlife.com, and that's travel, the number four, wildlife.com, had this great article on it. And this is something that when I moved to Los Angeles, I really started, you know, getting more into this idea of like learning about it because it is something like harvesting from beaches in the tourism industry is really detrimental. So we all love to find like a really beautiful shell when you're at the beach, right? But there are a lot of really, really intense ramifications for the overharvesting of shells and washed up sea creatures. So I wanted to like talk through some of the problems that it causes and then also help you all be better beachgoers. So first, I want to like give you some tips. Uh, number one, please don't think don't take anything that's alive. 
And that sounds like a no-brainer, but there are a lot more creatures that are actually living in some of those shells than people realize. And if you're ever in doubt, I always think you should be cautious and either leave it be or gently return it to the ocean. Like, please don't throw living creatures like a baseball into the waves <laughs> because I've also seen that real shitty. That's, not, so, a cool, that's not cool. Not cool. So some of you might be like, well, Shannon, how do I know if these things are dead or alive? I'm going to go through a few of the, like the most common ones. So sand dollars. If sand dollars are bleached white and look completely bald, so there's no like tiny hairs or spines on it, then it's definitely dead. And when they're alive, they're brown and they're covered in tiny little hairs that they use to move. If you find one that's like in the mid phase, just know if it's like just recently dead and you find it and you take it home, that shit's going to stink. But also like, just leave it, leave it be. Also, I mean, when you find something like that, that's food. That is food yeah. for something else as it well. It is food. For, it's food. It's like it's contributing calcium to the ocean floor. It's all sorts of stuff. Some other big ones like starfish. They have thousands of little tiny tentacles that are actually called tube feet that are on the bottom of each of their like arms. And if you look really close at the underside of it and you see the tiny tentacles moving, then it's definitely alive. Put it back in the water. And if you don't see movement, but like you want to be sure, if you touch the tube feet like really gently on the water or like place it in the water and see if they start moving, that's a good way to check too. Again, starfish are living creatures. So I would recommend not taking them. But if you find one that you're certain is dead, you know, again, just like be extra sure that the thing's not still alive. Um, there are also a lot of really cool egg cases that get washed up on beaches. Like these are not as common on the West Coast. They're mostly an East Coast thing. But um, one of them is referred to as like a devil's purse or a mermaid's purse. And it's the egg case for a skate, um, like usually a clear nose skate. It's kind of related to like rays and sharks. And if a skate egg case is split open on one end between like the horns and it's empty inside, then it's definitely dead and no longer has an embryo. But if it's still intact and has fluid inside, like it's very possible that there's actually like a living skate embryo in there. So you can like hold it up to the sun and look through the case to see if there's movement. But again, it's like this is a case where I would always just advise to leave them be like egg cases are literally like they're they're fucking like creatures to be like leave them alone <laughs> sea urchins when they're alive have really like long spines uh, and they're protruding like all over their body and if you find an urchin with the spines intact it could still be alive and you can kind of try and carefully take it back to the sea but like use a bucket or a shovel don't like palm it Ouch. <laughs> yeah that's a, bad, that's a terrible idea <laughs> terrible idea to palm a sea urchin um, and if it's bald and it doesn't have any spines and it's empty inside, then it's like definitely dead. Uh, if you find like a bivalve shell and those are like, you know, shells that like clams and stuff and both of the halves are tightly closed together, then it's still alive. Leave it alone. Yeah, like clams, scallops, mussels. Exactly. And you can sometimes also find living ones like with their shell open in shallow pools or like stranded by storms. And if you touch them and they close their shell, like obviously they're alive. Duh. Um, with spiral shells, you really want to like look inside. Like if you see anything in there, whether it's the original mollusk or a hermit crab, then it's probably alive. So like return it gently to the ocean. But on that note, just like leave spiral shells alone. That is a huge piece of advice. And I know that it sucks and it's not what people want to hear because spiral shells are very pretty. 
But hermit crabs depend on empty shells of all sizes to survive. So like, I know they're beautiful, but hermit crabs need them more than you do. Um, There are like more than a thousand species of hermit crabs worldwide. And each one of them depends on empty shells because as they grow, they have to move into bigger shells. And if they can't find one, then it's going to die of exposure or it's going to get eaten by a bird. So when you like take an empty spiral shell home, you're basically making a hermit crab homeless. And that's rude if you didn't know. That's so rude. And then, you know, the biggest one here, though, and this is like my third big thing, take less. Just take less. If you do want to go out and you want to harvest, you do not need to pick up every shell that you see. A lot of plants and animals depend on dead shells, too, for their survival. So... I mentioned earlier, there's been some big fucking problems with this. There was actually a scientific study on shell collecting that shows that like increased tourism is directly correlated to a reduction in the number of shells found on a beach. And they did this study on a beach in Spain. And over a period of, I think, 30 years, they had a threefold increase in the shells that were taken as they saw tourism increasing. So tourism increased by 60%, three times more shells were taken every year. And they would start replenishing in the off season, and then they would just all be fucking ransacked by the time tourism season was over. And it has like big consequences in a lot of ways. Like there's things like increased beach erosion becomes a problem. There's changes in calcium carbonate recycling, declines in diversity and abundance of organisms, which depend on shell ability, like seagrasses, corals, anemones, like those are all just examples of creatures that use shells to anchor themselves to the ocean floor. And a lot of other creatures actually like make their homes on top of dead shells. So like, you know, we've got uh, barnacles, limpets and chitons, like There are creatures that the dead shells are just as important to. Uh, Small fish and octopus also use discarded shells. Other organisms like burrow into dead shells like endolithic algae and sponges. And even like there are some birds like the piping plover, which is a threatened beach nesting bird, uses shells to line its nest. And then my favorite terrifying but also really cool one is like there are Uh, marine worms that use bits of shells to like construct a protective tube that they live in so yeah again it's like just because it's dead doesn't mean that it's not still playing a part in the ecosystem and so i just want to say like if you do want to collect just take less because of course like one person collecting stuff isn't enough to ruin the ecosystem but like we have to remember that places with a lot of tourism in particular like you're not the only person collecting like the example that i read in this article was like if somebody walked by your front yard and took a handful of dirt it wouldn't matter right but if hundreds of people came by and took a handful of dirt then eventually you're gonna have some fucking problems in your front yard so just be mindful um do so responsibly if you do want to collect things and like last but not least please don't buy shells from those shops near the beaches because almost everything that's for sale in a shell shop or a souvenir shop comes from a living creature that was killed for the sole purpose of making that souvenir like that's why they're in such pristine condition like those aren't shells that wash up on the beach some of them of course are caught unintentionally as like bycatch but like the vast majority of those are intentionally harvested. And if if you're like not the type of person that thinks it's cool to kill 
a living animal for your collection, then I would not buy a shell at a shell shop. So, And I would just want to jump in here kind of at the end and say, uh, if you are foraging on the beach, uh, don't fuck with the tide pools because tide pools are beautiful to look at, but um, constitute some of the smallest complete ecosystems out there. And like yes. each tide pool is a small, complete ecosystem. Yeah. So 100 percent respect that as the beautiful thing that it is and um, leave it alone. Yeah. Just it's like maybe alone. maybe you want to like do um, a spell near the tide pool. You know, it's like you don't have to take things necessarily to use them in your magic. You can also like do little rituals there. But I think as witches and I mean, obviously as a green witch i feel very strongly about this but i think all witches like we have this innate connection to the natural world because so much of what we do is tied to that and so i feel like we more than other people have a very important responsibility to be good stewards of the earth and so this is me stepping down off of that soapbox (laughs) but um but yeah no i was just you know i was saying the one thing that we really didn't go over is tide pools i know people like to take their children to check out the tide pools and you know i'm just gonna be kind of mean about it stop fucking doing that stop letting your kid poke around in the tide pool with a stick those are micro those are like micro ecosystems in this much fun as it is for your kid, if you're not going to supervise them and you're going to be like under your beach umbrella, having a having a cheeky cocktail while they fuck with a tiny little complete ecosystem, um, you're a terrible parent. Yeah, it's like because even the stuff that you can't see is so important. And again, it's like this is why I, I wanted to make sure to talk about all the like creatures that also depend on dead shells, because sure, if your kid's poking at a shell that looks dead in a tide pool, you might think it's no big deal. But the reality is there could be like a little octopus or a little creature living under that shell or like that shell could become like food that's now getting like disturbed and it's getting like the algae knocked off of it. Like there's you have to remember that just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not being impacted by your actions. Right. And uh, yeah, so that that was just kind of my thing. Keep your keep your kids out of the goddamn tide pools, please. One thousand percent. So on a much like lighter note, now that I am off of like maybe one of the most intense soapboxes I've been on (laughs) in the history of this podcast, uh, I'm super excited to hear about Poseidon. So um, one of the things that I learned about Poseidon this week doing research is that Poseidon is a bit of a grump. (laughs) Um, I love that. He's a bit of a grump. So um, but with Poseidon, we're going to want to start with a little bit of the backstory. So he is, along with Zeus and Hades, the son of the Titans Cronus and Rhea. Uh, And in some tellings in the story, Cronus had a voracious appetite for devouring his own children. Um, We actually went over that a little bit with um, Dionysus uh, eating his child. Saturn, no, Saturn, Saturn eating his child. Yeah, please see the amazing painting we shared on our Instagram feed for reference. Um, so Rhea, in her wisdom, uh, hid Zeus and Poseidon in a flock of sheep while pretending to give birth to uh, calves or foals, depending on the story. Uh, so he would eat those instead. Um, I love that. It reminds me of Nick. Do you remember across the street from where? We lived on Fall Creek. That deer that lived in the herd of cattle. <laughs> um, I don't, but I love her. 
Yeah, for years, this like little deer just like hung out in the herd of cattle over there. Like, I don't know if it had been like orphaned or what, but it was so cute. And I just imagine like little like gods toddling around with a bunch of sheep. Just hanging out. (laughs) Uh, But okay, so after Cronus was killed, presumably for being a real bastard of a dad which fair enough yeah i mean zeus poseidon and hades in some stories drew straws to decide which domain of the world they would have dominion over and so this for me opens up the possibility that there's an alternate universe where they were all switched up and poseidon was the head bitch in charge and like hades was the god of the sea and zeus was lord of the underworld pretty neat to think about i mean (laughs) all all that makes me think about is like the disney version of hades being hbic Right. So, <laughs> but in this universe, Poseidon got the C, but he cut, could have just as easily gotten the top job. So uh, because of this, he ended up being largely worshipped by sailors who were desperate for safe passage and favorable winds. But he was also the god of earthquakes, and it was said that he could strike the ground with his trident and create powerful earthquakes. Um... So that's pretty cool as well. But they don't really like go in. I mean, he does it a bunch in his mythology, but they don't really go into like why he has that power or like uh, it's just, you know, it's like, yeah, you're the god of the sea. Earthquakes. That's also you. I mean, that is very curious because I mean, we know that tectonic shifts also cause things like tsunamis. So maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? That's actually a pretty good pretty good uh connection you you got going there um but he was also worshipped as a fertility god and um some people would believe that it's his association with the tides which were linked to the moon which was linked to a lady's personal tide if you receive my meaning um periods Yes, menstruation. <laughs> um, but also the the thing with fertility is Poseidon is horny. Poseidon oh. is notably famous for having a bunch of kids like Zeus. I mean, look at Zeus. That's his brother. I know. I was about to say, like, a horny god. The brother of Zeus was also kind of a, like, horn dog. What? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it had to do with his notoriety of being a bit of a horn dog. Uh, so when actually, so when his sister and this is, you know, they're gods, they can do whatever they want with their sister. Um, <laughs> but when his sister Demeter denied his advances by turning herself into a horse, an interesting move from all angles, um, he turned himself into a stallion and they had a horse baby called Arian. He also had a rendezvous with the Medusa leading to the birth of the first Pegasus. Uh, but, but he was married to a sea nymph called Amphitrite, and huh. they had a child who was half fish, Triton, who might have been the first merman. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, Poseidon is also well known for being a grump. And one of the themes of the Odyssey is his grudge against Odysseus. So where that starts is Poseidon, in one of his many dalliances, produces a Cyclops child. And as we discussed in the last episode, 
Odysseus is a bit of a bastard. Um, but they killed they killed the Cyclops, and Poseidon just is not having it. Um, so he caused their ship to sink, which caused the the ten year delay in them coming home, and really like sets in motion the whole. I mean, the whole of the Odyssey is like a side quest. You know, he's just trying to get home from the Trojan War. And then everything else is just like all this weird stuff that happens on the side. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with Poseidon just being like, well, you killed my Cyclops son that we hid away on this island. And uh, I'm going to fuck you up. Uh, I mean, fair. (laughs) So he also insisted on fighting in the Trojan War with on the side of the Greeks and literally had to be forced off the battlefield by his brother Zeus, who favored a more hands off approach when it suited him, which seems a little bit hypocritical coming from Zeus. But OK, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's also a lot of uh, stories that corroborate the idea that Poseidon spent most of his time on Mount Olympus with the other gods. Uh but he had a palace on the bottom of the sea made of the finest precious metals and stones, which seems a bit excessive for what is basically a weekend beach house. But what can you say? The Olympian gods live for the luxury and the excess. I mean, I feel like this might be where our good friend, the barefoot Contessa, got her aesthetic. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, also, uh Notably, one of Poseidon's children was the first king of Atlantis, which one of my favorite things about going back and reading all these old myths is that they always write about Atlantis as if it is a real place. And uh, even in stories that aren't about Atlantis, it's referenced, um, you know, just like we would talk about New Jersey. (laughs) I know it's it's just like so casual. They're like, oh, yeah. And over in Atlantis. Wait, what? OK, it's like, cool. Um, wait, hold on. So we're not going to like we don't even get a footnote. No, no? they're just like cool. over. In Atl- he was the king of Atlantis. <laughs> and <laughs> that's it. Um, so in in that grand tradition, we're just going to move on. He was the king of Atlantis. And um, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about seashells in magical practice. So now that we've talked about how to not be a real bastard when you're collecting seashells at the beach, um, I wanted to go into some of the obvious and maybe not so obvious associations with seashells. So the first one is, of course, a literal representation of the sea. Uh, The second major one is um, water signs. So Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. And the the third uh, is with the Divine Feminine, and therefore the mother of all mothers. Um, and how fitting, though, that seashells are brought to shore by the tide, which is controlled by the moon, which rules Cancer, who is the mother of the zodiac. Uh, this association also comes from the beautiful shades of pink and purple and cream that can be found on the insides of seashells which uh, create a very yonic feeling, no? Yeah, it like it makes me think of the painting um The Birth of Venus, that Botticelli painting. Yes, yes, with yes. With her coming out of the shell, um a lot of people do think that the shell might symbolize, you know, the vagina and the birth because she's also like the perfect pearl and some people also say the pearl can be a symbol of the clitoris, but yeah, I mean there's a lot of imagery that depicts like shells as like the lovely woman bits. Right. Um, and so actually non-witchcraft related, but um, 
a, a literary reference here. So in Skinny Legs and All by Tom Robbins, one of the characters is a conch shell that was used to worship the mother goddess in prehistory. And if you really want some top-notch descriptions of the labial qualities of seashells, then I would steer you there because it's actually quite stirring. Um, so what should we as witches be doing with seashells? And the answer is lots. Um, so if you're casting a circle, you could use seashells to represent the sea. That's a no-brainer. Um, on the western side of the circle, which is typically the direction ruled by the sea. Um, and if you yourself are a water sign or you just work with the element of water a lot. So anything that has to do with emotions, like a love spell or a cord cutting or anything like that, that is very emotionally charged. Shells are going to make a great addition to your altar space at this time. Is it facing west, water babies? Your altar? Maybe you should think about that. Just saying. Um, but to to represent that watery, emotional world. Um, and if you work with Aphrodite or Venus in your personal relationships, um, shells representing feminine beauty will be just the thing to put out as an offering. Um, also placing one on your altar to represent Gaia, because, I mean, while we believe in our various paths of witchcraft, evolution tells us that every all life on Earth came from the sea. So symbolically, the mother of all mothers would be the sea. It makes me think of that song, I Come From the Water. Right. Yeah, by the yeah, Toadies. Yeah. I feel like that should be the theme song for this episode. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but also, you know, one fun thing that's that's like not really witchcraft related at all, but I think, you know, is kind of more garden related to go Which with the other. The obviously other theme, related. <laughs> the other theme of our podcast here. Yeah. Um, and if you were in the habit of making bug hotels in your garden, a seashell makes a nice little water dish. And the kids like how fun and whimsical it is, too. I know that's really precious. And I think for me, one of the other great symbolisms like of the shell is you if you think about it as like this amazingly protective exterior for something that's like soft and squishy inside. And I actually I used to put out uh, a really big conch shell for Yule time. <laughs> mm. um, and I, you know. I don't know why, but I was always drawn to do that. Like I had gotten this shell. I, I was bad. This is before we recorded this episode, obviously. But I just picked it up on a beach in Mexico. Well, we've we're all learning. We're all it's and a, I, and you know a journey. I was, I, that was almost ten years ago. I was like twenty at the time. So yeah, I was about to say that was a long ass time ago. But also, I do want to like on that point. If you are somebody who like has shells or like you have things that like are now you know better forgive your past self and learn from it and move on. But I want I don't want us to ever make anybody feel guilty about things that you've already done because you can't change it, babes. Like if you have a conch shell, you might as well use it in your practice because you can't put it back. No, I mean, exactly. And actually, the conch shell uh, maybe not so mysteriously disappeared um, when I moved in with my ex and he was helping me pack up my apartment. Um, oh, so uh, a huge shout out to you. You know who you are. I know you threw out my Christmas conch and uh, fuck you. I'm just I'm like 
what a cock said as like in the Margot voice. Right. Ugh. Well, I think that brings us to our tarot scope. Yes, it does. The card is the Ace of Cups and it is for our Libra babies. Oh. And I was so happy like to get the Ace of Cups during this episode where the last thing we talked about was shells and like the birth of Venus and Aphrodite and love. And it's like the Ace of Cups is telling you that like you have some divine love flowing through you, Libra babies. And, and uh, can we just talk about how Libra is ruled by the planet Venus? Yeah. And they're also, I think, one of the sexier signs, which yes. is duh. And I think it's um, it's important to know if you are just learning more about tarot like the aces and all of the suits can really be seen as like an invitation so like this is the universe inviting you to relish in that love and that compassionate energy that is you and surrounds you and this could be the perfect time to like open yourself up for a new relationship, start a new creative project, or just open yourself up for like more self-love. Like, do you need an at-home spa day? Maybe uh, this is the perfect time for it. I, like, think I, I think I know a Libra who definitely needs an at-home spa day. Yeah, I think that this is this is a really, really great card, Libras. Like, I hope you take the universe up on the invitation to like revel in this. You You deserve it. I think that not only do you embody love but you are love like we are all made up of cosmic energy and like the love of generations that came before us in addition to carrying trauma which i know is a very big topic these days i think it's important to remember that we also carry like the love of past generations and so you want to spread that into the universe and like let it continue to ripple for like decades to come but libra babies love on yourself love on the people in your life and really just like let it flow let it flow like the spice in dune <laughs> and you know what a what a lovely thing to be able to give some good ish i mean it's good news if you decide to take it uh yeah on, on an episode that was just meant to be like a fun relaxing seaside escape and to not have to end it on a on a on a on a bad note <laughs> Exactly. I think this is um, I was really excited to get this. And as as a Virgo who has had complicated relationships with Libras, I also feel like I keep getting cards for Libras now because I think this is the second one I've had. And so I also think that I need to make a Libra friend is what the universe is telling me. Well, Eve, Eve is my Libra friend. Well, I'm too far away from Eve. So <laughs> so uh, but, but I'll no. need to keep looking. But but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. So if people want to reach out to us about how great this tropical vacation episode was, uh, where, where could they do that? Yeah. Send us all the pictures of your sexy tans from listening to this episode at wands and fronds pod at gmail.com or shoot us a little message. It's basically like a little texty text on Instagram at wands and fronds pod. You can find us there too. And I said this last time, but it's important to remind y'all that like Nick is also on there now. So you can talk shit about both of us and it's great. You can talk shit about me now because it's not just me on there. Nick will also read it. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it. Even if Shannon has already responded, I will read it. 
and I will I will chuckle to myself while I drink a glass of wine. Um, but also, I mean, if you're not going to do any of that, you could hit us up and get our P.O. box. You can send us a bag of rubies. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll send you a bag of Shannon spider plant clippings. Oh, my God. I'll send anybody spider plant clippings. Like, seriously. Also, if you're interested in doing a cuttings exchange, I have some house plants. Hit me up, babes. I'm like super down to exchange some plant children. Um, And if you're not feeling independently wealthy or rolling in rubies, you can give us a like, rate, review, subscribe. If you can't do that, tell a friend. Like, If you live under the sea... Please let us come live with you. Please let us come live with you. But also Poseidon's palace is supposed to be made of gold and jewels. If you don't have rubies of your own, maybe go get some from there. It doesn't seem that hard. No, I bet it's super easy to get into Poseidon's (laughs) palace. There's no way there's any security there. Right. Um, And... I just want to say rating and reviewing and subscribing, though, really does help. Uh, For a week, we were in the top 200 podcasts in our category in Norway. So thank you, Norway. Please feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we hope you're you're not too mad that the last two episodes featured uh, Greek and Roman gods. I know. I felt a little bad because it was like we did all of our our very like Nordic episodes and now we turned away and we want you to know we still love you. Please come back. Please come back. (laughs) <laughs> but um, um so i guess that brings us to the bitter end of this beautiful vacation yes every vacation must come to an end and i guess um we just have to say to the bitches blessed be bitches blessed be sea bitches oh goodbye. my god sea bitches i love you so much goodbye microscopic uh mic wow <laughs>